Some of you know this year I turned 40, and when I turned 40, I promised my doctor I would get an executive checkup. And I did get one a week and a half ago. And it should be no surprise to any of you that the results showed that I needed to diet and exercise. In fact, four doctors whom I showed the results to said the same thing. Steve, diet and exercise. I went to four because I thought at least maybe one would perhaps deviate and say, you are in fine health. My initial reaction when I received those recommendations from those doctors was that I told my wife, honey, you think it was because I took the test right after I came back from Japan and ate nine meals in a day? Maybe we should retake those tests again. Maybe they'll come back a bit different. Dennis Davidson tells us, it's a common knowledge that the doctor's most annoying patient is the one who doesn't follow his orders, perhaps second only to the fact of the patients who don't pay their bills. Such a person, as you know, comes into a doctor's office with a complaint, submits to an examination, hears a diagnosis, and is told what to do, but that's as far as it goes because we all like to play quack doctor, and we ask the doctor for the recommendation, they tell it to us, and then we think we know better. It must frustrate doctors to no end. In many ways, the Christian life is like that to God. We are His problem patients. We hear His Word, we understand it, but we don't follow through. The Bible tells us not to worry, we worry. The Bible tells us don't covet, we covet. The Bible tells us to look with anticipation to our home in heaven, and we don't do that. And I wonder, when we don't follow instructions, what does it say to the world? Now, we can go on and on with this list, but bottom line is this. It tells the world we don't really believe in that which we claim to be the unerring, infallible Word of God. Therefore, it is imperative that as an evidence of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ, we do what we hear from God's Word. This morning, we continue our sermon series entitled, Louder Than Words. We're studying the book of James, and we're taking a look at the various actions that evidence to a world that we have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So far, two weeks ago, we looked at the action of embracing life's trial. And then last week, we took a look at the action of rejecting sin's temptation. And this morning, we take a look at the action of doing what you hear as an evidence of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to be taking a look at verses 19 to 27. The book of James, chapter 1, looking at verses 19 to 27. Here in these nine verses are three charges for what we are to do to exemplify to a world that we have a genuine faith in Christ. I'm going to use these three charges in these nine verses to be the challenge for our church as we enter into the 50th year of our existence. Take a look with me in verses 19 to 21. The Word of God says this, So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overthrow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. 
If you're taking notes, the very first charge, number one, is this. Simply listen to God's word. James is very clear in verse 19. Let every person, note this, be swift to hear, but slow to speak, and even slower to get angry. I wonder why James adds that extra phrase there, slow to wrath. You see, oftentimes when we hear and we read the Word of God, we do so with a defensive stance. We begin to think of justified reasons for why we don't apply God's Word and why what we've read does not apply to us. We begin in our minds to justify our sins, and we get angry literally at the Word of God. How can the Word of God say this? Don't they understand I live in the 21st century? The Bible written thousands of years ago. It doesn't apply to my life. But the Bible is very clear. The inerrant Word of God says, listen carefully. Don't say anything. Don't react. Why? Look at verse 20. Because those who get angry, those who get defensive, those who have the wrath of men, will not produce the righteousness we need to have, which is Christ-likeness. The righteousness, the guidebook to Christ-likeness is found in the Word of God. Therefore, the Bible is very clear, minces no words, listen to God's Word. In fact, in verse 21, there is an encouragement for us to humbly receive the Word of God. Because note this in verse 21, it has the ability to save your soul. If there is something written in this book that will save you from problems and troubles, in your eternal damnation, would you not follow what the Word of God says? But we must humbly receive it to get rid of sin in our life, the Bible tells us in verse 21. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, because sin clouds our ability to humble ourselves and receive the Word of God. Sin is a hindrance to the correcting, rebuking Word of God in our lives. Kelly Randolph talks about the different types of hearers when it comes to the Word of God. He talks about relativistic hearers, those who undermine the authority of Scripture by suggesting, oh, it may be right for you, but it's not right for me. Somehow it's the crowd who suggests that the Word is no longer relevant for our day. You have your truth, I have my truth. And then there are the superstitious hearers. They treat the Bible like a magic talisman of some kind, and many Christians do that. Like the children of Israel who thought they would win a battle just because they had the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, we talked about that in our last series. Something that just because they read the Bible, they own a Bible, they hold the Bible, that they're going to be automatically blessed by God. And then we have the emotional hearers. No doubt the word affects our emotions, but some come to the Bible seeking a sort of experience. And if they don't get it, they don't want to hear the word of God. They're more interested in feelings than doing then you have your theoretical hearers. They are the hearers who come to the Bible just simply to gain information. And that is indicative of a lot of our people in this church. They just want to know more Bible knowledge, theological correctness, which is very important. But they are not interested in practical godliness. This is not the type of hearers that the Bible is talking about here in the book of James. Here in the book of James is talking about an experience of being exposed to Scripture, as Kelly would write, through the reading or a sermon, and with that exposure, begin to sense conviction. The Word begins pointing out things we need to change. 
We sense an attitude we need to get rid of. We feel convicted to start doing something we had not been doing. We sense a need for a change in some relationship. As we listen to the word, we begin to say in our heart, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to change. I'm going to get things right with God. This, my friends, is the type of listening James is talking about here in verses 19 to 21. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Verse 22 gives us our second charge. Verse 22 reads this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And if you're taking notes, number two. Charge number two. Do what is instructed in God's word. Do what is instructed in God's word. Not only are we to read and listen to God's word, we're also to do what we read, what we hear. In fact, there is a natural expectation that we are to listen with the natural tendency for action. In scriptures, it's one and the same, to listen with the intention of doing. Because if you're not doing that, then the Bible tells us, note verse 22, you are deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. It's ridiculous. In fact, you've heard me say many times, if you come to church to listen with absolutely no intention of changing anything or something about your life when you are convicted by the Word of God, then you are wasting your time. You don't hear that from many pastors. A lot of pastors just want seats to be filled. But, you know, James is even more direct than me. He says, if you do not do what you hear, you are deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. You see, the action of doing what you hear is an action that speaks louder than words about your genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the world knows the Bible. The Word of God is on the Internet. The 21st century generation knows the Word of God even if they are unbelievers. In fact, they know it better than many of us. They can throw it in our face. And they'll say to us, or think about us, if you really believe that it is the Word of God, then how come you're not doing it? You see, the Word of God isn't some sort of secret. Satan knows the Bible better than we do. If it's a secret, maybe you don't have to do what it says. But it's out in the open. Do you do what it says? As parents, you know the difference between hearing and doing. I'm sure this happens almost every day in your household. You yell at your children, put your iPads away, it's time to eat. And for some reason, we all ask all around the world the same age-old question, do you hear me? Right? And what's the universal answer of every child when you ask them the question, do you hear me? The answer is yes. Do you hear me? Yes. And then, because you're frustrated, because they're not doing anything about it, you ask the question, are you doing it? Their answer is no. And then they'll smile at you. Do you hear me? Yes. Are you doing it? No. And somehow, in their minds, it's okay. It's okay to hear but not do, and they'll just smile at you. 
In many ways, that's the Christian life. I want to yell out, do you hear me? Do you hear the word of God? Everyone says yes. We've got a new sound system. Everyone can hear me, unless you're sleeping. And then if I were to ask you, are you going to do it? Although you may not yell it out and your heart, you're thinking no. And then you'll smile at me as you shake my hands. I heard you. I'm not going to do it. And it's okay. It's somehow okay in the Christian life to hear but not to do. It's a dichotomy. It's high time that this body of Christ, and this is all I'm responsible for, not other bodies of Christ, but this body of Christ needs on this 50th year of our existence not only to hear but to do. For a church going on its 50th year of existence, I'm sure you've heard hundreds of sermons. You've probably even heard the same passage preached, the same topic You may say to yourself, I've heard this all before, but more importantly, have you done it? It's a charge to us. It's a challenge for you. But don't think I'm angry. I want to encourage you also, because I see this in our church today. Many men and women, hundreds of men and women, who are actually doing what God's Word says. I see this in one area of our church. If I can be proud of our church in this aspect, I am. Some of you have asked me, Pastor, you rarely talk about giving. In your many sermons, you rarely talk about giving. Why? I say because there's no need. It's an important part of the Christian life to give cheerfully out of an outflowing of your walk with Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual discipline. But we rarely talk about it. Because you are responding to what God's Word says you're giving. For example, years ago, we went to an annual budget system for our church with proper checks and balance and audits. And so, in anticipation for the renovation work in time for our 50th year, we budgeted for all of the repair and renovation work you see this morning. Some of you have noted, how come there wasn't an appeal made from the pulpit for contributions to the renovation of the air conditioning and the lights and the sounds and the LED screen, so on and so forth. Well, first of all, all was budgeted. And if you are a proper steward of God's money, as we all should be, especially as the body of Christ, then there doesn't need to be lots of appeal. But what amazed me this year is that although we didn't mention what we were doing because it was budgeted, more than 70% of the renovation cost were given by unsolicited anonymous donors. 70% given by men and women who were moved by God for love of His church. You see, there are two ways that men and women can respond when they see repair and renovation work in a church. And there are some who thought this. One way, they say, wow, the church is always renovating. They're always repairing. They must have lots of money. And if they have lots of money, then I don't need to give. And I've heard people tell me, Pastor, you should talk to this person. He or she thinks like this. I don't talk to those people. You know why? Because that doesn't come from someone who loves the church. It comes from 
men and women whose relationships are not right with God. And I'm being serious about that. But it's very few. The vast majority of men and women have this attitude. They say, wow, praise the Lord that God is moving in this church. Praise the Lord that God is able to move in this church. So I'm going to give more to God's work so that this church can be better equipped for the gospel work of evangelism and discipleship. I know that the church is a church I can trust. They have great checks and balances and audits, and their board does their fiduciary duty. So I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to give to God in His work. That's doing what you hear. Because giving will always be between you and God, and it's none of my business. But I love how many in our church do more than just listen. They are moved. They do out of a sense of conviction in their heart because of their love for God and this church. But for those who only listen and do not do, James gives an example in verse 23 and 24 of how ridiculous it is to hear and not do. Look at verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I think that example is pretty self-explanatory. James says that it's like someone who sees himself in the mirror and then walks away forgetting what he saw. How many of you this morning, when you woke up out of bed, hair disheveled, looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I need to go to church and I need to get ready. I need to comb my hair. I need to take a bath. I need to shave. I need to brush my teeth. I need to put on some makeup for the ladies. How many of you stared in the mirror, thought all that, and simply walked out to your car and came to church? Let me see. Can't see. I'm blinded by the lights, but I hope none of you. No one does that. We say, that's ridiculous. Why did you even look in the mirror if you're just going to just go to church? James says, he who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, what kind of man is he? It's ridiculous. The same way when we hear the Word of God. We see areas in our life that need to change, and then we step out of these doors and we don't do anything. It's ridiculous. It's a joke. And that's why the world doesn't see Believers in Jesus Christ take a stand for Him. They can't see the evidence of real faith because they see the same attitudes, the same bitterness, the same anger, the same hot-headedness, the same ethic issues are still there week after week, especially even if you tell them, I go to church every week. They see the same thing. They don't see any change. It is a charge to the church to do what we hear. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The Bible gives us a blessing. If you are not a forgetful hearer, but you do and are challenged by what you hear, the Bible says you will be blessed. How can this church be blessed? It's right here. If every man and woman, every person in this body of Christ does what they hear from the Word of God, 
so that we as a church can be an effective witness to the world when they see that we walk the talk. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. My wife is here. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But if you go to the Saturday evening service, which my wife usually attends, you'll see her sitting in the front row, diligently taking copious notes of my sermon. Now, if you observe her, you may think, wow, she's such a spiritual you. She's such a spiritual pastor's wife. Look how earnestly she is, right in that front row, taking notes of what her husband is saying. You know why she does that? Because usually after every Saturday evening service, to make sure that my sermon was clear, I'll ask her, what did you remember about my sermon? What were the major points? You weren't daydreaming, were you? And so she has to have notes for when I quiz her after church. It's really hard to be married to a pastor. And she knows that. And she knows that she needs to take notes because she's going to be tested by me. Likewise, you need to remember that in life we will be tested. And the way we remember the Word of God is by doing it. By living out the principles of Scripture, Scripture comes back. And that is how it actively lives itself out in the everyday issues of our life. You see, you remember what you want to remember. You remember when you want to remember. You will act when you want to act. You will act when you want to act. We don't remember, we don't act, because we don't want to remember, and we don't want to act. We think we're never going to need it again. The difference is your desire to implement what you hear. And I've used this example before. Most of us, many of us, can't remember the names of people right after they've told us their names. I'm one of those people. And the honest truth is we don't remember their names because we honestly don't care about them. We think in our minds, we'll never see them again. This is a social function. It's not important for me to remember their names unless I need them. But you know how it is when you're single and you're introduced to a very beautiful person with whom you are very attracted to. Trust me, you will remember that name. You will make every effort after you hear their name to remember it. When I was first introduced to Cindy... Kept thinking in my mind, Cindy, Cindy, Cindy. Rhymes with candy. She's eye candy, Cindy. That's how I remember her name. You do things when you want to remember. And how we remember Scripture, the Bible says, is by doing it. One would think that that's it. You do what you hear. But James goes one step further to challenge the Christians to live out with their actions, louder than words, to exemplify their faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26 and 27. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion, note this, is useless. James gives the third charge, and here's number three if you're taking notes. He says, show that you do what you hear. Show to the world that you are doing what you hear. And it's it's a bit surprising to hear that and read that. But James wants us to show to the world 
what we do of what we've heard. Because many of us will do the things we read or the things we hear from Scripture, but we do it in secret. But how then, in secret, will the rest of the world know that we are followers of Jesus? The world would not be any wiser about our genuine faith. And so we need to show them how that faith is lived out. And the Bible tells us in verse 26 very clearly that we are to do so or else we're kidding ourselves. And he uses the example of an untamed tongue, unbridled tongue. And we'll talk more about that in chapter 3 in a few weeks. We show to the world that we're living out our faith or else it's useless. James was very specific in the type of actions we are to show. Two ways. Look at verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The first thing is to show love and care for the most uncared for in our community, to serve them. Why does James mention visiting orphans and widows? He's giving the example of a group of women and orphans who were often neglected and could not really help themselves. It would be messy to get involved in their lives. And yet the Bible tells us the type of action that shows Christ-likeness is an action that is messy. It's an action that requires your time. It's an action that requires your commitment. It is monotonous. It's not glamorous. But to show the world an action that is louder than words, it's simply calling for an opportunity where you can serve others. And praise the Lord, we have so many in our community that serve faithfully. More than 450 men and women serve in our church every week. Many of them you don't see because they're working in the background. I appreciate them deeply. It's not easy, it's messy. It's sometimes boring. It's monotonous. It is an act of commitment when men and women show forth their love for Jesus to a world by being committed to what they do. I think of those who stand out by our entrance, the greeters, the welcomers, the how may I help you young people. You know, it's not easy. They do that faithfully every week. You know why it's not easy? Imagine trying to be happy and say hi to men and women who walk through those gates that look like they are the saddest people. Good morning. Welcome to church. Mm. Now, you can say, well, Pastor, I'm really happy inside, but that's just my face. That's an Asian face. We're just not allowed to smile. Imagine how hard it is to maintain any sort of joy when you see joyless people through their faces walk through that door. It's not easy. It's monotonous. I've heard it. Pastor, they don't respond. Continue doing it. No one ever said that serving the Lord would be easy. How about choir? Man, we have a great choir, many choirs, six of them. We think it's easy, but they spent countless hours practicing, memorizing. It's not easy. Only to do what? Only to come and sing and have people criticize them? Is that easy? No. They do it faithfully. They've done it for years. They want to serve you by glorifying God with the words they put to music. 
So you understand how difficult it is to serve one another. And yet the Bible tells us the action by which we show the world of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ is to take care of those who are uncared for, who, who will be very difficult to take care of. It requires patience. It requires practice. It requires commitment. It is monotonous. And I praise the Lord for our orchestra this morning, the sailor orchestra that played so well. All wonderful believers, and it is their mission to build up orchestras all throughout the Philippines for church use. And I applaud them, and that's why you brought them in this morning. But we want to have a church orchestra as well, too. And you'll hear more about the program, but you'll say, oh, pastor, another program? No. It's another opportunity for the expression to serve the community and to tell about the goodness and the greatness of our God. And I'm sorry, Sailor Orchestra, I hope by next year we're going to work you guys out of a job. But that's the truth. And they have no problems with that because many of them are going to be teaching our younger people so we can begin to develop an orchestra for our church. I can go on and on, but I won't. But the Bible tells us the evidence through action of a genuine faith in Jesus Christ is to show that you are doing what you hear. And very quickly, the Bible tells us the second type of action is to keep oneself unspotted from the world, unspotted. It means that your life and my life needs to be uniquely Christian. Your testimony must be Christ-like. It must be different from the world. The Bible uses the word and phrase unspotted, not allowing the cultural acceptance of the world to permeate into that which the Bible is very clear and very clearly says is wrong. It is showing the world that we live differently from the world, not above them, with them, but by taking a stand for that which the Bible tells us very clearly. I hope it is the men and women of this church when they say, you must go to grace you must go to GCCP because you don't do this. Because you follow what the Word of God says. There's something different about you. May that be. Because the Bible tells us you and I have to display a pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father to keep oneself unspotted from the world to live our lives differently from how the world lives. So there it is. As we enter our 50th year, the challenge to listen to God's Word, the challenge to do what is instructed in God's Word, and thirdly, the challenge to show the world that you are doing what you read through the way you live your life by serving others and through a life that is different from the world. Why? Why do we do any of this? For His glory. For His glory. And that's why on this 50th year, it is our theme, our 50th anniversary theme, by His grace, for His glory. We remember back 50 years of God's faithfulness, and we remember His grace for how He has allowed our church to be what it is today. But we do not rest in the past, everything we do, every action we take, 
is not for us and our betterment. It is for Him and His glory. May that be the challenge to our church as we enter the 50th year of our existence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It has convicted my life as well. It's nothing new. It's nothing new that our congregation has not heard. But may it deeply penetrate into the heart this morning to call us to attention when we take living out our faith for granted. Help us to listen carefully, slow to speak, slow to become defensive, to do what the Spirit convicts us in our heart, but then to show the world of our faith in Jesus Christ through how we live and how we care for others. Bless this church. May we continue to be relevant. May we be the salt and light, and may we be a shining testament of a body of Christ where body of Christ, where you are the head and you are preeminent in all things, so that we can live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.